Bloody Elbow presents Crooklyn's Corner, a hodgepodge of current event topics from the combat sports and entertainment community. Here is your host, Crooklyn, a.k.a. Steffi Haynes. Hello and welcome to another episode of Crooklyn's Corner. I'm your host, Crooklyn, but most of you now know me by my given name, Steffi Haynes, and joining me once again for part two of our year-end awards is the amazing Zane Simon. Zane, welcome back. Time to get into the second half of our year-end awards with you. Are you are you excited? Are you ready? Are you I'm geared real- up? Do you have uh, your your EPO flowing through your veins like that's uh, right? Yeah, no, I've been <laughs> I've been hitting the cream and the clear. Oh been, man, got everything know. under the sun flowing through your veins right. for this. I, All right, I got that. You know, I got that Donald Cerrone diet going. <laughs> the fountain of youth. Are you? That's pos- right. Are you? Just, you know, make sure you you stack the fountain with an estrogen blocker too. <laughs> All right, so. We're going to kick off with this one's going to these these topics are a little bit different than your standards. We're looking for least improved, most improved, best of, worst of, things like that. So we're going to start with most improved fighter. Well, I mean, there's one big obvious choice here, uh, and that's Alex Pereira, mm-hmm. because he stepped into the UFC with almost no MMA experience at all and walked his way all the way to a title this year. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's just shocking. Um, but there, I mean, the thing with the thing about choosing Pereira is that middleweight is always going to be, there's all, there's always going to be guys like that mm-hmm. at middleweight. It is a division. It, it is MMA's misfit, misfit toys division where you just have like all these weirdos you know not quite big enough uh often to be in other you know really high-end pro sports like football and basketball and stuff like that uh not necessarily the kind of like other but not also not necessarily always the the small elite athletes who could have been great athletes had they been bigger, you know, it's just kind of this weird division. And so if you get somebody who is a good athlete and who does one thing really well, they can kind of go, they can walk into middleweight and run straight up the division without meeting anyone who really takes them out of that game. You know, you think Alex Pereira, you think like Chris Weidman, Mm -hmm. you know, you, you think about just, even Israel Adesanya, yeah, you know, like man walked in. He'd been doing MMA for a while, but his game was pretty much just kickboxing. And he walked into the UFC, and nobody could make him do anything other than kickbox. Yeah. Also, one thing about middleweight, you got that dominant guy, but then everybody else is way, way behind him. We saw it with yeah. Anderson Silva. I mean, he dominated the division for years, and then when. Weidman managed to topple him. Weidman looked pretty good for two or three fights. He did. Yeah. And we thought Weidman was going to be the guy, but Luke Rockhold fixed that for us. And then Luke Rockhold was just there for a brief second. And then we had, now we have Izzy. And Izzy is filling the role, well, he was filling the role of Anderson Silva, but now we've got this upstart in Pereira. And boy, man. Yeah. 
I think you're right on the money with this. I didn't, I hadn't thought of it. I hadn't thought of any of these categories here because I always have trouble with these. The so other, I look the, to you, the professional. I, I have a couple others though that I, cause oh. so I'm saying is like, it's, it's less, you know, middleweight is a little less impressive to be most improved. Right. I think Alex Pereira has the clearest case if we're just talking about mm. who's the one, who did the most from the, the, the lowest point. Mm-hmm. But if I want to talk about like who I was most impressed by in their improvement this year, and I hate to say this because man, is he kind of a putz. Uh oh. But Sean O'Malley. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He looks great, right? He beat Peter Yan. And he, well, hmm. you can, can I put you beat and quote about how you think it should have been scored, but he hurt. Peter yes, Yan. He did. He did. I will say that. Yeah. More than Peter Yan hurt him. Mm-hmm. And that's that's good enough to to get a lot of you know a lot of wins like that. I have a huge amount of respect for how Sean O'Malley showed up in that fight. Yep. The other choices too that I would say are Bilal Muhammad, mm-hmm. who is suddenly looking like a you know who who's kept himself moving towards being a legit title contender. Yeah. Somebody who is going to get a shot at the title. And if you asked me three years ago, will Bilal Muhammad ever be a UFC title contender? I would have just said, no, he's a great smart fighter. He always does smart things, but he's not, he's not athletic enough. He's not going to ever actually get that far. Talk about a blue collar worker, right? Yeah. Yeah. No kidding. And then the other guy I want to give a shout out to for most improved this year is Monal Cop. Oh yeah! Wow, big right? deal, Ryzen. Mm-hmm. But he entered the UFC, and it was clear he did not know how to fight in a way that won in the U- would win in the UFC. Mm-hmm. Was low output, was indecisive. He had th- th- this pressure power counter game that just. You know, this is a dude who was fighting in shoes in Ryzen. Still, you know, like came into the UFC on a two fight skid. Yeah. You know, and now, two fights he lost. Yeah, and now he looks every bit like the potential title contender mm-hmm. people thought he would be again. And he's so, so dynamic. That's what yeah. I love about him. My God, if you want to watch Fury in Motion, just watch one of his fights because it's never boring. Yeah, I think so. I, I think if I, Alex Pereira is the big obvious choice, but if I, th- I think if I have to go with my personal pick, uh-huh. it's Sean O'Malley because I'm picking him despite how much I feel like he's just absolute grating on the nerves at all times. <laughs> um, I, I still would imagine that, he... that some of his boneheaded decisions and fights really piss you off. I mean, yeah, I mean, it, probably but... not so much now as say last year or the year before. Well, sure. How about and that? I the fact that I want him to include him here really means he should be my pick because yeah. I'm doing it through pure protest. You know, my, my, my heart is protesting. <laughs> yeah. I I can definitely see him as a pick. I really, really like the Manel cop pick though. Wow. That might have me moving off of my Alex Pereira pick because that's, Man, the way you laid out your argument there. Yep, I'm changing. So you've done it again. I'm going to go with Manel Cop. I like that one. Nice. Yeah, I mean, he's he looks like the fighter that everybody thought he would be. And, you know, that's after a couple of really hard intro to the UFC. So yeah, you like got to give him some major props for 
figuring things out and improving his game as he's been in the UFC. Yeah. How about least improved fighter? Do you have one of those? Oh, I, several. Oh, I'm ready. I'm ready. And I mean, there, there, there's there are a couple of really obvious choices here. And cause, I mean, obviously, too, we could be like cruel and say like, you know, Frankie Edgar or Marlon Marais or, you know, somebody like that who's just obviously. Are we thinking of maybe our two Brits in this conversation? <laughs> One Brit is in this conversation. <laughs> there might be another. You you might be able to swing me on to another. Oh, but the first... uh, just the one that you're talking about. Think of their best friend. Who uh, who are the pair of Brits that are inseparable right now, male and a female? Oh no 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 oh, no! Nope. It's not them. Okay. No. Because okay. Patty Pimblett and Molly McCann but are they kind of are the least improved fighters, especially I... Patty. I don't think so. He's he's absolutely performing like he's winning. Yeah, he, but... His fight with with what's his name? Uh, Jerry improvements Gordon. in his in his game though. Yeah, but he, like the his fights might might not all be great, and he might not be improving by leaps and bounds. But he is absolutely not failing. Right, but is he improving visibly enough to call him? If I'm is... saying who's least improved, yeah. How do you how do you overlook Darren Till? Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna walk mine back. Absolutely, I completely forgot about him. But and, yeah, yeah, that's that's it right there. Darren Till has got to be way up on the least improved list. Yes, because this is a man who fought for UFC gold like three four years ago now, mm-hmm. and cannot buy a win anymore. Nope, just. And and his his takedown defense against Drikus Duplessis miserable. His he is, and we know he works on it. We know he spent a ton of time time training with Hamzat Shemaev. Yeah, you know he's working on his takedown defense all the time, and it is just anathema to his being. Well, do you feel as I do that he could make one seventy? He used to make one seventy. That he's not cut out for one eighty five, or is that no. just me? I, I don't think that's the problem. No. Okay. I think it's just that he has always been there's always been more smoke uh-huh. than fire to yeah. Darren Till. Yeah. Like when he got to the title against um Woodley. Woodley, it was off of a miserable fight with uh Stephen Thompson mm-hmm. where they just spent five rounds looking at each other yeah and he's always had this thing people you know there's always been this thing where people look at darren till and they're like oh he's super dangerous you can see that left hand is just cocked and ready to fire and i don't want to step in on that but you watch and then you're like you know he 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 almost never counters people he almost always has to lead to land to to do good work and so the danger is not actually in attacking him. It's in waiting and and letting him do his own thing. And as people have kept attacking him, as he got to this point where he became a target, people started game planning to actually fight him. It just turned out there wasn't a lot left under, you know, behind his game. And it, it hasn't improved. Yeah. It hasn't stepped, you know, there's been no change at all. And he keeps getting thrown in fights with 
even a guy like Drikas Duplessis, who's totally wild and structureless, is just also being fearless is enough to beat Darren Till. Yeah. And the, 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 the other thing with Darren Till is he got all this unnecessary hype for having hands. Now, I'll give him this. He does have pretty nice technique yeah he's he's very smooth and sharp in in his in his the way he throws and his coordination and his balance and all that but he was getting this stuff i i you you understand where i'm going with this because you you started it yourself with his left is always cocked and ready so everybody thought that he was going to do this he got a lot of hype in the beginning because when he came into the ufc he came in against wendell de Oliveira. Right off the bat, he gets the elbow KO. But who the fuck is Wendell De Oliveira, right? And who has he KO'd since? Exactly. Uh, Donald Cerrone. That's it. Yeah. So those those KOs are what everybody bases his demolition on. Come on. All of his fights have been um, grinders. Because look at the one with Kelvin Gastelum. Yeah. I yeah. mean, or they've been complete routes where that he got smoked. And yeah. all of his fights, he pretty much got smoked with the exception of Drico Duplessis. And he gave, he did give Robert Whitaker a, a little bit of problems in the beginning. There was an elbow in there that jarred him a little bit. But other than that, I mean, uh, Robert Whitaker pretty much got him out of there with no problem uh, with a unanimous decision. But I think he was way overhyped off those those two knockouts. Yeah. So Darren Till's top of the list. Also on the list, got to be said, Sean Strickland. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like... It was he's one of those fighters where it was obvious watching him coming up where it's like mm-hmm. you have you have worked your way into a style that will not function at the highest levels of the sport. You cannot be a busy straight up stand tall hand trapping pressure fighter at the top ends of middleweight. People are too powerful they're too technical. They can make you guess on stuff where, if, you know, with him, he's always banking on his ability to move just out, lean back just out of the way or to swat strikes as they come in with his hands. It's never about like, you know, keeping his guard tight, moving his head, rolling with things and stuff like that. It's all about, do I see, you know, how good is my vision? Can I see these things coming? Yeah. And against a lot of lower tier fighters that's enough to get through it most a lot of mma fighters are not good enough strikers to actually fool anyone they you know they they bank on volume they bank on pure power they bank on aggression doing the job they're not going to actually set traps and trick people you got your chocolate else that all they do is wing (laughs) yeah but you get up to the elite at middleweight these days and you get Pereira, you get Izzy, you even get somebody like Jared Cannonier. Mm. And they are good enough to make it too hard to have that kind of defensive game with that kind of offensive game. Because he always wants to be right there in the pocket. He always wants to be right in front of you. He always wants to be in range to get hit and then have an active defensive hand and leaning. And it was clearly not good enough against Pereira. And then it didn't end. It wasn't good enough against Kanir either. And he's, he has been like, I'm not changing for anybody. So th- there's gotta be a little shout out of least improved there. And then the other, the other 
name that I have written down here, because these are all fighters too, to me, they should all be in their prime right now. Mm -hmm. They should all be, you know, if we're talking who's least improved, I'm looking at fighters who should be at their pinnacle right now and are struggling terribly. And the other one is Alex Hernandez. Wow, what a great... I mean, he they even made the drop down thinking that that was going to help, and nope. Nope. <clears throat> I think that's... Pro Man, who do I pick of those? I think I'm going to go with Darren Till for sure, but, <clears throat> excuse me, second would definitely be Alex Hernandez. Yeah. Yeah, so. that's a... That's a really good choice. Those are my those are my my picks. You know, guys like Pimblet and McCann. Like, there should always be some realistic reality check expectations for fighters that aren't exceptional athletes and just may have a lot of fun scraps. Like, I don't expect a lot of improvement out of these fighters. They're, they don't have a bar that they've set to to really, you know, make, or I don't have a bar that I've set for them where I expect them to exceed certain points. And, but guys like Till and Hernandez and Strickland, who are all very good athletes, very capable of getting up to and competing at the highest levels, and then just absolutely fail to do so. Yep, shit the bed. Uh, Would you say... Yeah. What if I had made the cat made an additional category stagnant fighters? Would you say that Patty and Molly and fighters of that ilk would they fit in most stagnant? Uh, maybe, but I, I I guess like you know three quarters of the fighters on the UFC roster mm -hmm. are going to be in that category. In that category, like you know what what makes Angela Hill different than Molly McCann? Right. You know, like the most fighters do not make major leaps and bounds over their career of improvement. They do it a little while when they're young and they're just learning. Mm -hmm. Neither of which describes Pimblet or McCann, who've both been fighting for quite Eight a years. long time now. Yeah. And then they get to the middle portion and they're just kind of who they are. And you don't necessarily expect a lot of, you know, I don't necessarily expect a lot of huge things out of most fighters. So for me, I don't think, you know, I don't, I, I don't pick on uh, somebody like Pimblet for his in-cage performances because I, I think him, him winning consistently in the UFC mm -hmm. and getting lots of fans and attention, like that's a pretty big uh you know, that, that's all pretty big for him yeah. already. Okay. All right. How about microphone presence? And we're talking about Patty and Molly, and they've got these big, bubbly, vivacious personalities. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but there's a lot of people that have big, vivacious, bubbly personalities. We talked about Hanato Moicano earlier. Uh, we, we look at Raul Rosas. Who do you think has the best microphone oh, presence right now? Raul Rosas has a very um, Sa Danny Sabatello vibe. I'm oh. not. I'm not. I'm not sold on that one yet. Okay. <laughs> in terms of Mike's skills, like it's cute that he's like, I want to buy my mom a minivan to drive yeah. me to practice and stuff. But... but when he tries to smack talk, oh yeah, you're right. Yeah, it's, it's just like, 
kid, you are not even allowed to drink legally. Nobody wants to hear you trashing people. <laughs> um, I mean, honestly, like we already talked about Chris Barnett. That is absolutely one of my best favorite microphone moments of the year. Mm. And I I also got to get I got to give it all to Hanada Moicano. Yeah, that was mine. Like he's been the thing with Moicano is he has been in the UFC for so long now without having any kind of personality at all that anybody cared about at any time that is the most memorable on the on the mic performance for me like i mean i i do have to give patty pimblett a lot of credit because like it is in large part his mic skills that have made him such a you know target figure in the ufc and he knows what he knows how to use his time in front of the mic but Hanada Moicano is like that's such, it's been such a surprising turn that I can't help but feeling like he's he's got to be the winner for best mic work of 2020. All right. What what do you think about because I, I saw on some of the lists, a lot of people were uh, choosing Mike Chandler. What do you think about some <laughs> of his his promo work, especially after a fight? I, you know, it's fine. He. He had he know he says all the right stuff. It's just that I know he 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 cans it all. Like I I know he has all these like things that he's memorized to say, and so he's getting out there and he's cutting the promo. It's like the and I'm, I'm making this point, and I don't want people to think that I actually mean that he's got any of this kind of charisma or natural mic talent, but it's a bit like The Rock. Right. Where it's like, wow, yeah, that's a really fun, cool thing to say. But it's also like, you know, especially in these days when Dwayne Johnson is doing any public statement or anything like that at all. It's like this is the most focus tested thing I've heard in my entire life. It, it hits all the right notes, but it is like you have a team that is writing this, that is creating this personality to keep, <laughs> keep you exactly on this balance beam of where you want to be. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like it, it's a very different thing than like when McGregor was at the best of his mic skills and you would just, you're like, oh, you know, a lot of it was just like, you, you know, he's, riffing like i see i see these things and stuff like that and you're like that you know everybody everybody can connect to that that's that's an instant feels like a natural thing that you pulled out there and chandler it never feels like some instant natural thing it's here's my favorite wrestling promos that i have memorized line by line (laughs) and i'm now going to you know sell them to you as a crowd (laughs) <laughs> that's what I've been loving about Hanato Moicano this yeah. year and why he's got to be my top pick is that he's just, he seems to have had, had a revelation this year of like, just you get in there and you have this time post fight, like go out there and go nuts, you know, do whatever you want. You like Joe Rogan and 
you know, Michael Bisping and Daniel Cormier and all that, they'll walk in the cage and they like they have this track that they want to keep you on. And it's the most boring track possible, mm-hmm. especially Joe these past five years or so yeah. when he's doing the in cage mm-hmm. interviews. It's very much like, you know, we weren't sure you won that fight. Did you think you won that fight? He's very bullish, right? He guides you into what he wants you to say. Yeah. And then, you know, and, and the fighter's like, oh, no, I thought I won that fight. And, and then it'll be like, oh, yeah, so we had this, you know, there was this moment in round two where it looked like you were hurt. How hurt were you? Oh, I, well, I don't think I was that hurt. And then he'll just turn around and be like, okay, well, thanks. Ever, thanks. And we'll look forward to seeing you next time. Like, never asks anybody to call anybody out. Never, you know, gives them a time to, like, do any self-promotion or whatever. It's just a very much, like... Here's the fight that just happened. Talk about it, which, you know, fighters, they're not usually even thinking during their fights. They don't, you know, it's like asking a football player, oh, what happened when they, when you, when you, when you saw that ball coming in and you were going to make that catch, what were you thinking in your mind? And, you know, if you get an honest answer to that, to that question, it'll be the guy being like, I was thinking ball, 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 hand, hand, ball, ball, hand, catch, catch, turn, run. Like, <laughs> You're not thinking about anything in that moment. You're concentrating on what you're doing. I was thinking about world peace and the yeah. cure for cancer. So, so I think, you know, it's on fighters to understand, like, if somebody steps in there and they have a microphone and they're putting it in front of you, it doesn't matter what they're asking you. It doesn't matter what questions they have prepared for you. If you have things you want to say, you just take the mic and you say them. Yeah. You know, just... Talk about your family and talk about how proud you are of your kids. Talk about your charity work. Talk about whatever you want. And if, you know, just ignore who cares about that moment in round two where you almost had a heel hook. I don't care. Like, you know, so I I love seeing somebody like Moikana go out there and just start screaming into the mic about whatever nonsense is on his mind at the moment. Like, that is perfect perfect use of your time let's go the other way worst microphone presence and i have one in mind for for once in this section i actually have one in mind well i think i i the top of pick i have two picks here one of them because it's slightly unexpected is sean o'malley oh that is unexpected why because he was absolutely just down in the dumps in the worst way possible after beating Peter Yan. Yeah. He's like, oh, I'm going to have to go look, watch. Yeah. Like, I don't so know. Do you think you won that fight? He's like, I don't, I don't know. know. <laughs> I, I'll have to go look at it. It was, that was really hard. Um, thanks everyone. And that was like his big crowning moment. <laughs> Um, like you just earned yourself a title shot and you're like, man, I don't know, guys, that. Wow. <laughs> yeah, that one. But I, I got to hear the other one. I need to know if we match on this one. The other one is Benil Darius. Yes! Thank you. He just cut the oh my absolute <laughs> weirdest damn promo on that fight or that, uh, Abu Dhabi card like having an absolutely awesome fight with Mateusz Gamrot 
putting together a classic performance, looking great, and then just coming out and like killing the vibe, beating it within an inch of its life, <laughs> trying to convert all like oh, the nation of Abu Dhabi to Christianity. Oh my god, that was the Sultanate <laughs> to Christianity. Did you hear the response though? Dead quiet. Oh, yeah. Oh. I was just waiting for the stones to start flying. Man, that was so uncomfortable. Yeah, it's got to be worst mic work of the year. It has is. to go to big star has years. To. Has to. But I like I like your runner up though in Sean O'Malley. That was a way out of left field again. You really put some thought into your choices. I like them a lot. <laughs> now let's talk about best walkout, and we discussed this a little bit prior. Yeah. So but I, want to I don't have a best walkout pick, and I'm sure that there were some decent ones, if I can remember them. Um, Barnett. Chris Barnett. Yeah, you had Chris Barnett. I think I – mostly it was his, his like, fight week stuff from Alex Pereira mm-hmm. was really great going into that Izzy fight. Yeah, the, Where, all the archery stuff was awesome. And the the the, the headdress mm-hmm. and the, the face paint and all that, it just was really cool. Yeah. Um, but the thing is, is that the UFC is so anti-walkout anymore, right? That I just don't even think about them. Even if, even when fighters do them, and they're having fun with them, and they're vibing with them, and even when we're getting some like you know big championship like title fight kind of walkout and stuff like that, I just I'm not even thinking about it anymore because even the broadcast team and the production itself is not going to pay attention to it. Yeah. They just don't. We get lucky when we get those little clips like uh, Alex and his headdress and yeah. Chris Barnett over there dancing by the guy that greases you up. But, you know, the last really big walkout that I remember is Izzy when he was doing the dance with the, the other yeah. guys in the masks. Wow, that was so cool. But before that, the one that I remember is when Conor McGregor had Sinead yeah. O'Connor. That's what I was going to say. Is that's yeah. the one I, the last one I remember. And that was like Six, just seven years. Re- remarkably cool. Mm-hmm. And I had hoped at the time, I remember hoping at the time, I was like, is the UFC actually going to try to like start doing some production mm-hmm. again? Are they going to, you know, like, I remember somebody posted online one of Tito Ortiz's old walkouts. Like, from way back, like, 2000, Oh, 2000, when they had the it, ramp still? Yeah. Oh, man. And the ramp, and, you're like, you know, you've got, like, Limp Biscuit blasting. You got this huge pyrotechnic yes. show blaring. You got Tito Ortiz running out there. And, like, all of this shit is corny as hell and just so, like tacky and bland but it was the most hyped mm-hmm. and like it just felt so cool watching it again to be like oh man remember when they when they let the idea that fighters were invested when they yeah. when they gave into the idea that fighters were invested in this that people wanted to be exciting and interesting and wanted to give people a show and wanted to create uh, connection. Yeah. Because now it's all so corporatized. It's canned 
everything is fucking canned it's awful but at the time when we had all these great walkouts remember competition was fierce back then because we actually had pride and it seemed to me the ufc was always trying to outdo pride you couldn't you could not match the pageantry of pride though you just couldn't no pride was a whole it was its own thing but it was once again this this idea of like Mm -hmm. the thing that made pride so amazing is that they wanted you to connect with fighters as personality as like somebody to reach out to and have a personal investment in it's something that was you know they would give you these video packages of mm. these you know stories of like you know i here i am you know i feel like i'm the hope for my nation i feel like i'm going to build pride and create a legacy and leave something you know bring something more than i ever and you're just like you're watching like I love this. This is so endearing and impressive. And the UFC, like, it just, they want you to feel like every fighter is of equal interest. Yeah, they give you the assembly line feel. Yeah. And so even when they try to do stuff like that, it's just like you're just watching 10 people get the exact same you know, here I am cooking breakfast, here I am playing with my dog, here I am, you know, talking about how I think I'm going to win this fight, and here I am walking out, and you just don't, it just doesn't, there's always an arm's length to all of it, where it's very, very much afraid of trying to turn talent into featured stars that people will show up for because they want people to show up for the UFC. You're not there to show up for the fighter. You're there to show up for the pro- the, the card and the fight. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, well, it, uh, like I said, I don't have a best walkout because it's just not, Yeah, it's not what they're trying to do. And so even when somebody does a good job with it, I don't, it, you know, I'm not really thinking about it. You know what, the one that I miss most probably and I mentioned her earlier as being my favorite fighter, but Jessica Andrade used to walk out with yeah. a huge chiefess headdress. And that was, was pretty cool. Amazing. I loved watching her walk out in that. That's why I always refer to her as my little chiefess. Mm-hmm. But that was an incredible walkout that she had. I, I kind of miss seeing um what's his face the hulk the moldovan dude that yeah yeah iwan kudalaba iwan kudalaba i miss seeing him come out in all green like the freaking hulk i love that i'm kind of glad i put this this topic in even though you didn't have one because it's good discussion that how very vanilla the ufc has become yeah It, it it's definitely one of those things that sucks about the way the sport has molded over the last 20 years of ufc ownership yeah now let's uh, talk about best referee so and I, i'm gonna wrap this in with worst referee okay just because once again i don't really i don't i guess i don't really feel like this was a good year for referees in general Mm. you know like jason herzog has been my go-to in recent years as like the most consistent high-performing ref but i can't even remember any specific like 
great refereeing performance mm. this year. I don't feel like. I don't really think of any. There were any really miserable ones either. I mean, I'm sure there were a bunch of late stoppages. There always are. Yeah. But um, <clears throat> I don't know. Refereeing just doesn't stand out to me. It. Um, I tend to. I mean, most of the people that the UFC uses are like such workhorses. You know, you see them so many times in so many different fights that you. I feel like you. You pretty much any referee of any uh, note you're going to see do half a hundred things right and half a hundred things wrong every year. Mm-hmm. And also like I, I made this point with uh, judging especially, but until commissions are actually like making these, these kinds of jobs, actual like paying salaried work. Yeah. yeah actual something of somebody can be a professional at without having to do it every day of the year essentially i mean i mean i know everybody has a, a job most people most of us have a job but we have to work most days of the year but like you know if you're a ref you have to tra- you know you if you're going to do your job every day you have to travel every day yeah you know, you, we've seen Herb Dean working for the last couple of decades and you see, you, you know, you can see him on a UFC card in Vegas one week and you'll see him in like podunk nowhere, Russia the next week. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I, I don't really have any feelings about the refs other than that if people want better refereeing out there, they got to lobby for like more consistent pay in the industry so that more people... You know, because the, be- the only way you're going to get better people to judge and better be- mm. people to be referees is to create a bigger talent pool to draw from. And the only way you're going to create a bigger t- talent pool to draw from is to make the job actually make more sense yeah. to do. We do have a couple last ones here. Mm-hmm. We're going to move into commentary. And I want to get your best and worst of the commentary team. Uh, best, you know, Laura Sanko, John Anik. Paul Felder. I'll, I'll even, you know what? I'll throw the man a bone. Michael Bisping. Honestly, he gets just as much stuff wrong as Dominic Cruz and Daniel Cormier. But he is so much more malleable to the talent around him mm-hmm. and flexible and uh charismatic in his work that as a fighter turned commentator i both find him entertaining and like paul felder is he's a he he's a very good solid commentator but i mostly don't think about him at all he's not vivacious and charming like mike is man mike's always cutting up and he's always putting people in their place when they deserve it too in that booth i love that So I'll get I will throw Michael Michael Bisping a bone of being both fun and charming to listen to in a way that DC is and also less wretched than DC. Um I can stand DC only when he's talking wrestling. Yes. Because when he makes points wrestling points I can listen. Yeah. And I can't listen when he's with Rogan. You put Mike and DC together, I can listen to him. 
Yeah. Did you put DC and Rogan together? Oh my god. It's just brutal. But uh, you know, thank Thanko and Anik, obviously they are super prepared. They're always professional. And uh Sanko's really, you know, she's getting her own groove with it too, where you know, I feel like she's got a pers- a personality she's bringing to the booth. Yeah. So, but if I, we could just get her to stop doing shoeies, all right? Yeah, Please, yeah. I don't care. I don't want you to see you doing shoeies because that's gross. <laughs> <laughs> all so. right. So I do like your Michael. B- he Michael Bisping is mine, followed immediately by Paul Felder. I don't mind Dominic Cruz. Uh, oh, I hate the reckless abandonment. And I hate that he gets a needle in his side whenever somebody from his gym is fighting and they're not doing well. And so somebody else in the booth talks about it. He gets re- he really gets his hackles up. Dominic Cruz, I'm going to say it right now, since we're bridging over to worst commentator, I think Dominic Cruz is absolutely the worst commentator the UFC has ever consistently Oh my been. God, I got to hear it. Do go in. Go ahead. I mean... Nobody sounds like they're having less fun True. calling yeah. a fight night than Dominic Cruz. Yeah. Like, he just, there's always something every time that is like a bitter thorn in his side. Right? That's what I'm talking about right this there. He's chewing over. And like last card that he worked, apparently he, somebody must have gotten into his his com his his message DMs or something about something <laughs> because he would not shut up about this idea that cutting somebody was the principal hallmark of damage in a, to win rounds. What? So we'd be he's like, well, you know, uh, he, someone's like, you know, the guy might want to he might want to like cut, open a cut or something on his opponent there because I know dam we know damage is what they're scoring fights on now and that's damage and it's like Dom. That's, that's a that is like a tertiary damage criteria. Yeah. That is not what people are talking about when they're talking about damage. They're talking the, about impactful blows. Yeah. We're talking about strikes that ch- change the nature and the momentum of the fight where somebody was doing well and then they got hurt in a way that made them perform differently. They got hit hard by something impactful that wobbled them that shook them up that, you know, and yeah, some like bruising even more than cuts Mm. is like a secondary criteria. If we can see that your leg is really bruised up, that's a good indicator of damage. If we can see that your ribs are bruised up, that's a good indicator of damage. We can see your eye is swollen shut. That's a good indicator of damage, but a cut can happen from anything. A glove grazing your face can open up a cut. It is not a primary damage indicator. Not only that, the face, the head in general, because the skin is so thin, it's very easy to cut with the most minimal hits. And he would just not shut up about it the whole night. (laughs) He just kept talking about how like, oh, you know, and there's a cut in that round, so that person's going to lose. And it's just like, what? Dom, what are you arguing? Why, Why? And nobody was arguing this point with him in the booth. It was something that he'd carried in from some other conversation he'd been having with somebody else. And it's just, it's so easy for him to get, like, rattled about something and then just keep on it all night. Ah, he is 
absolutely, I think, the least enjoyable, least fun. Because he's wrong. And the thing is, too, if he was wrong way less than DC or Bisping, and he really was this fight genius that uh, the UFC tried to sell him as, and that <laughs> getting to punk Team Alpha Male for five years built his reputation as, because that, that really is genius stakes there, making Col- Cody Garbrandt look dumb. <laughs> Um, if he really was that person, I might have be more forgiving of it, but he's just as lost. He gets just as lost just as easily as Daniel Cormier out there. Yeah. And no, no charm to pat. No charm. Uh, Daniel Cormier has moments where he can be really charming. And I, like you said, when he's talking wrestling and stuff, I'm like, yeah, that, you know what? I right now this is enjoyable or when he's got the pen out and he's drawn on the thing and you're like you know what this is charming this is a John Madden charming shtick and it was charming when John Madden did it too when he was 30 years out of step with the modern game and it's charming when you do it and you're somehow 30 years out of step with the modern game and you've only been retired for two Um, (laughs) The, the good thing about Daniel too is his his laugh is infectious and he laughs yeah. a lot in that booth and that saves him a lot that's his saving yeah. grace i think is that he enjoys himself a lot in there he laughs a lot he makes the people around him laugh and so i don't think i've ever heard Dan- i don't think i've ever heard uh, dominic cruz laugh ever except when he's <laughs> being sarcastic about something being funny or when he's you know putting the screws to Team Alpha Male because there there was always a slight smile on his face there. Too. There's a slight smile, but yeah. it's never a laugh. He's only <laughs> ever laughs when he's pretending that the thing you said was funny, and he really just wants to look, <laughs> like make that. a joke at your expense later about that joke. Oh. It's never like oh I I actually genuinely found that funny. That let's laugh about that. It's like oh ha 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 yeah ha ha ha. And then later on, he's going to, you know, bring up that lame joke you made again and laugh at you with it or something. Like, it's just, he's no fun. And I, I would, I would not be at all sad to see him, the UFC, just give him the boot. So we have fun vacuum. Yeah. Because that's the worst. That is the worst. Oh, and then the other worst commentary has got to be Bellator, right? Oh, Hello. Just the whole promotion. Like, just, they have somehow attracted an entire room full of the least interesting, least insightful commentary people of all time. And I, I don't know how they did it. Big John. Like, and, oh my God, just Big John in there with his big mouth, constantly saying dumb things. Just. And the most cringeworthy things, too. I just cannot stand. He does terrible post-fight interviews, too. I just hate him. I, I, I don't mean to be like that, but I cannot stand listening to him. I and I, I mean, I'm sure you have, too. I've I've done some interviews with, yes, with Big John. I have. He's a very nice, fun interview. Yeah, for sure. When you get him, like, when you're giving him questions to answer, mm-hmm. really, really great. And... He was a great ref. Yes. Really, honestly, great ref. And great official, great ambassador for the sport in that way. But something about him being the one in charge of answer, asking the questions and him being the one responsible for filling dead air on his own. And he cannot do it. He it has, just is terrible. Man, he does not have the personality to do it. He is not 
good on the fly. And that's important in what he's doing. He seems to me like a guy that needs a script. Yeah. So, yeah, no. I, I have to agree with you on Bellator's commentary. But you know who has pretty decent commentary? PFL. Their team is pretty good. Right. Um, uh, what's the name of the former UFC light heavyweight? Yeah, Sean O'Connell. Sean O'Connor, he's he is Connor. really solid and fun and charming on the mic. And Couture uh, and him have a good little rapport. Yeah. So, so I, I definitely like their commentary. One's commentary, however, where they have to remind you how much solid gold is built into their belt. Oh, come on, no. man. I mean, one in general as a whole product is just a constant MLM sales pitch. <laughs> It's just like going to a, it's just like going to a timeshare meeting. Oh as, my god! Like the whole promotion. Oh man! And you've been lured in the door with the promise of free fights, and as long as you sit through the meeting. Oh my god! That is the most appropriate description of one I think I've ever heard. I don't think there's ever been a more apt description of that promotion in general, not just the, the commentary. No, team. yeah. The whole event. Yeah. yeah. And now that they're on Amazon, one on Amazon, two, one on Amazon, three, one. I mean, come on, yeah. get a better hashtag. But you're right. It does. It totally seems like um, you're going to, to buy into a timeshare. Come here. Get a free weekend on us. Free, free, yeah. free fights. Free fights. <laughs> World championships. Titles on the line. You're like, yeah, I want to show up for that. And then you walk out and somehow you find you've, you know, spent like $300 on essential oils and crystals. <laughs> Dark sea sand. Or dead sea sand. Oh. <laughs> All right. You know, that brings us straight into our last topic. Uh-huh. Best promotion not named the UFC. 2022 didn't have one. What? I was okay. Maybe it was KSW. Okay. I didn't get to watch a lot of KSW events this year. Uh, I know that they had some things carry off well, and they always run a good tight ship over there. Like they're one of the most year in, year out. We put on good big events. It would have been to me PFL. Because they put on a really, they it really felt like things were clicking for them this season. But how can you name them the best promotion not called UFC when they had that finale, that season finale? Right. Which was the most miserable, misguided, awfully promoted, bombing, horrible pay-per-view idea of all time. And the price. Let's and, not forget yeah, the $50 price tag. They sold like 10000 What? I never. I didn't know the numbers. Yeah. Oh, man. Just abominable. You can't give them second tier honors. Nope. And then Bellator just kind of had a, a weak year. What about one? Did, did you find anything at all? Or Ryzen. Did, did you like any of those? I, mean, I, I kind of agree with you on KSW. I, the, their knockouts. Jesus, man. It was the year of knockouts for them. Yeah. 
one and Ryzen are not in my time zone. So okay, okay. I'm I'm not I'm not <laughs> staying up until three three a.m. four a.m. What anymore. about tonight though? Tonight I, is I'm the Bellator old. versus Ryzen deal. I know, and I want to watch it, but I am not staying up until eight in the morning. I'm not doing it. <laughs> I, I'm not Sean Sheehan out here. I don't. I don't I'm, know how he does it, right? <laughs> I'm not in Europe. I don't have to live like that. I'm not about to. Like, I get all my MMA in prime time. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I mean, you know, the, like, so yeah, you've got your Cage Warriors had a lot of good shows this year. Uh, you know, there are other smaller promotions that are. Uh less notable but i feel like your big main ufc competitors just didn't have a great year i can take it i can accept that pfl as a product for most of their season put on the best product outside the ufc yeah it's pretty clean too yes yeah, good it's clean it's fun clean. events yeah. lots of action the the tournaments built well good finales all that but that 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 pay-per-view was an abomination and it ruined the whole season for me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I do like your idea about KSW though. I think that if you were going to have to gun to your head, pick one, I think you're right. KSW would be the the obvious choice. Yeah. They, they know how to attract, they know what, they know how to mine their talent and pitch to their audience and they always put on big shows. So their matchmakers are great because yeah. they, they have the most compelling fight cards. So, yeah. yeah, I like that. That's absolutely good choice. Uh, oh, I, shout out, though, we'll say Fight Circus. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they, yes, yes. Maybe, the, you know what, that, that might have to be my real answer here. Fight Circus. Because they have absolutely run out over the past year or so and captured the clown shoes MMA market and are just full launched latched onto it going all in in a way that past clown shoes organizations like super fight league and uh you know shock fights yama yama yeah all, all these other organizations they always they were clown shoes by proxy like they wanted to be legit and they wanted to have a fun new idea that people would take seriously after a while fight circus is just like no this is bargain basement circus MMA and that or combat sports and that's all we're doing and I gotta respect that. So I mean, you got so many weird things this year with Fight Circus. First of all, you've got the Carnival Barker guy that's you know your Bruce yeah, John Nutt. Yeah, that dude is insane. But mm -hmm. you got telephone fights telephone booth fights yep the very first ones were done in fight circus now i know that there's like an actual promotion that has those yeah. now but the first promotion to actually do that was fight circus and it was at the beginning of this year and then you you have the the three on ones the the the, the dwarf fights i mean there's just so much craziness in there yeah you are right that's that's our runaway one right there yeah that's if it's best promotion not named ufc i have been very happy anytime i watch fight circus so and, i mean it's great and 
what better Twitter feed to follow watching something like that than Zane's? <laughs> so Zane, that's going to wrap up our, our se second segment here of this big year in rewards. I'm going to give you a moment here and you get to say whatever the hell you want to say, direct people where to find you, what your work is coming up in the next couple of weeks, anything you want. All right. Well, as always, you can find me on Twitter at Thesane Simon. We've got another episode of the MMA Depressed Us coming out next week. And uh, as always, once the UFC kicks back into gear, we'll be back with the MMA Vivisection and the six-round post-fight show each and every week, each and every UFC card. And you can find me on Bloody Elbow pretty much day in, day out, writing and editing and all that stuff. So thanks, everyone. And uh, yeah, that's where you can find me. All right. Zane, I do have one last question for you. What's sure. the next movie on your list that you're watching? Uh, I have to go to my letterbox. I, I offload my brain to other to, to programs. <laughs> you are uh, definitely going to be our first AI, aren't you? <laughs> like our first real AI, let's put it like that. There we go. I hope not, but maybe. <laughs> uh well, I got to finish. I'm watching uh, Melvin Van Peebles' Watermelon Man. Okay. Um, but then I think it might be Showdown in Little Tokyo. All right. So on that note, we're going to wrap up the show. So until next time, you know the routine. Please stay safe. Thank you for tuning in to this Bloody Elbow Presents production. To check out more of our content, subscribe to our YouTube channel, which is titled Bloody Elbow Presents. We're also on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, Overcast, Player FM, and Amazon Music. Just search for Bloody Elbow Presents and you'll get brand new shows throughout the week, including Care Don't Care, The Level Change Podcast, The MMA Vivis Section, the 6th Round Post-Fight Show, 6th Round Retro, The MMA Depressed Us, Crooklyn's Corner, Exclusive Fighter Interviews, Show Money, Guest Podcasts, The Hey Not The Face Podcast, and Radio Style Play-By-Play -play for every UFC pay-per-view. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Bloody Elbow, Facebook at Facebook.com slash Bloody Elbow Blog, and as always, on bloodyelbow.com. <laughs>